Let's get into our main topics here today. We're going to start off with main topic number one. And our first main topic today, oh, actually, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. We actually have an off the top. We've got an off the top we get to. I, this is so last second, I actually totally forgot about it for a second. So let's do our off the top here, shall we? And that is this. One of the movies that has kind of become one of several poster children for this whole COVID pandemic and a movie getting delayed and delayed and delayed and going through changes is Disney's Black Widow, Marvel's Black Widow. That has been delayed several times. Now we do have an actual release date for it. It was moved off of its May release date. It just got pushed further back into July and it's all that. But an interesting fact or figure or study, depending how you want to look at it, has just come out about that. And that is this. Instead of all of the delays causing, you know, the forecast for the box office of Black Widow to tumble and go downwards, they're actually saying that these delays have increased its box office forecast. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at Joe Blow. One of my favorite uh, movie news sites, as a matter of fact. And they write the following. Um, All delays aren't bad, at least in terms of box office during an ongoing global pandemic. Marvel's Black Widow was set to be released in May of 2020. That's forever ago now, but was delayed several times due to COVID-19 crisis uh, that resulted in the movie theaters being shuttered all over the world. Now that vaccines have begun to roll up more effectively and COVID-19 cases are going down in various areas, movie going is beginning to pick back up again, even though Disney decided to further delay the release of Black Widow until July. Some box office experts think the most recent delay will pay off nicely. Now, this is where they get into the meat of it. According to a new report coming from The Observer, Black Widow is expected to triple its domestic box office gross to about $170 million because Disney decided to push the film further into the summer months. Before this most recent delay, and this only this most recent delay, which saw the film coming out in May of this year, the domestic projection was just $45 million. The $170 million projection seems pretty incredible, especially considering that Disney Plus subscribers will also have the option to pay an extra $29.99 or $30 to watch the movie at home through the streamer's premier access program. With the global box office also picking up, particularly in China, the $200 million film uh, has various avenues to make a profit despite capacity limitations from most movie theaters. Uh, Jeff Brock, and they go on and on and on. So anyway, long story short, before they made this move from May, when Black Widow was still supposed to come out in May, their projections were that this movie was going to make about $45 million. Moving it a couple more months, and I'm sure the Godzilla versus Kong success um, has a lot to do with this. Now they're projecting this movie can make upwards of $170 million. And remember, they're just saying that domestically. Now, are these projections correct or incorrect? Well, I'm sure they're probably in the ballpark. Like, I, I don't know if they'll be bang on the money. I don't know if we'll see $170 million, but they'll be in the ballpark. Consider this. Godzilla versus Kong has already crossed the 50 plus million dollar mark domestically, and it's already crossed the 300 million dollar mark globally. A Black Widow movie. I mean, just a few months ago, it would be considered inconceivable that given the current climate that a Black Widow movie could actually make 400 million dollars given the current environment. 
But with this move now to July, if Godzilla's already crossing 300 and Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong could indeed cross that $400 million mark itself, maybe even more. Black Widow exceeding for $500 million for a Black Widow right now seems absolutely conceivable. When not too long ago, it absolutely didn't. So I think this, this, these reports that are coming out are really rather interesting, certainly very encouraging. Now, will this be enough to convince Marvel and, well, more importantly, Disney, to convince Disney to remove Black Widow from the $30 premiere access and just go full theatrical? It's possible. Now, look, after the Godzilla versus Kong numbers came out and we saw that it was making $300 million, I said, and I still stand by this, I guarantee you that there are at least conversations happening at Disney right now about just giving Black Widow the full, just regular 45-day window theatrical release and then put it on Disney+. Plus. And I got to tell you, with reports like this coming out, they that may even further those conversations. Now, look, don't misquote me. I am not saying that Disney is going to pull Black Widow off its $30 premier access thing on Disney+. Plus. I'm not saying they will, but I am saying they're having those conversations. You know they're having these conversations. And I think it's a possibility. I think it would be a good move for them. But who knows? Question is, guys, what do you think about this? You're seeing these numbers being thrown around for Black Widow that just not long ago would have been absolutely inconceivable in the words of Vincini. Inconceivable. But now here we are getting these types of projections. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by... Stubble McShave, who writes, Variety published viewing figures for HBO Max in a graph, and it showed a clear increase of views at the release of Wonder Woman 84 and Godzilla vs. Kong. However, it didn't show any clear bump in viewer, viewer engagement at the time when Zack Snyder's Justice League was released. Is this the final proof that there's very little interest by Warner Brothers to continue down the Snyderverse path? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in Stubble. Look, this, to me, this is, number one, not surprising. But number two, it's also kind of indicative of the fact that we live, you guys hear me talk about this a lot. We live in a 10 or zero society, right? It seems like today, especially in online fandom, everything is either a perfect 10 or it's an absolute miserable zero. I like that movie. It's a 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Oh, I didn't quite like that movie. It's a zero. It's a zero. I mean, I kid you not. Like just the other day I was talking about, man, I really enjoyed Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, it wasn't perfect. I had a few problems, but man, I really liked it. And I got this email from this angry dude. How dare you? Godzilla versus Kong is awesome. How dare you trash Godzilla versus Kong? I'm like, trash it. I was just, I've been talking about how much fun I had with it. How great it is. All I said is that it's not perfect. It has some problems, but, but that's the society we live in. It's 10, 10, 10, 10, or 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. And it seems like that same mentality, everybody's trying to bring now to the results of, of the uh, Zack Snyder Justice League HBO release. It's either absolute, complete, abysmal, miserable failure, or it was the second coming of the Godfather and the sound of music wrapped up into one. Like, it just doesn't seem to be any middle ground here. Look, 
yes, Variety did publish this report that showed that Justice League did not have the impact that Judas and the and the uh, and the Black Messiah had, that Godzilla versus Kong, where Wonder Woman had. Actually, let's go over and take a look at this. This comes to us from the folks over at Cinema Blend, quoting the Variety report. Her saying this, Variety's report shows that Zack Snyder's Justice League drew a smaller streaming share than fellow HBO Max offerings, Wonder Woman 1984, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Godzilla vs. Kong. Aside from Wonder Woman 84, which came out towards the end of last December, the other three movies all arrived within a roughly one and a half month period, with Judas and the Black Messiah and Godzilla vs. Kong also running in theaters, whereas Zack Snyder's Justice League is being kept strictly on HBO Max for now, which you would think would give them larger HBO Max viewing numbers. That's all fair. But I would suggest two things to our zero or 10 crop, because I'm seeing some places on Twitter and online kind of taking that study coming from Variety and saying, see, the Justice League thing was a failure. It's like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a failure. It got really solid numbers and made a number of people very happy. What else can you ask for in entertainment than it got a bunch of eyeballs, and a lot of the people who watched it were very entertained by it. That's a win. That's a win. At the same time, there are some people going into Justice League being re- released on HBO Max as this was going to be the second coming. This is going to change everything. Warner Brothers is going to roll back everything, and they're going to fully back and invest in the Snyderverse. And, blah. and what did I say the whole time leading up to it? I said, look, just temper your expectations. Warner Brothers already knows what kind of results they get from Zack Snyder DC movies. They've already seen what the results are. They're not going to be terribly different. It's going to make a lot of people happy, but it's not going to win over a lot of other people. It's going to be what it is. But you still have this extremism of people thinking, wanting it to be an absolute unmitigated failure or the absolute second coming of the greatest film ever made. And the reality is the truth is somewhere in the gray in the middle. Look, Wonder Woman 84, and we said this before when the initial numbers came out, but it bears repeating. Wonder Woman 84 was a brand new film coming off a massive successful other film in the first Wonder Woman. I love the first Wonder Woman film. Not crazy about Wonder Woman 84, I admit, but the first Wonder Woman was great and it got all the critics loved it. All the fans, I mean, obviously not all the critics, not all the, the fans, but the critics loved it. The fans loved it. It was a huge box office success for what it was. It was the first truly huge success for the DCEU. So that's the sequel coming out. It's a brand new film. So it wasn't a retread or a director's cut or whatever. It was a brand new film that nobody had seen anything of it before. So of course it's going to have bigger numbers. Also, it's not four hours long. Everybody, it, it seems like people want to forget, and this discussion comes up with Lord of the Rings or, or this particular movie, whatever. Everybody likes to p- p- pretend like the length of a movie doesn't affect the interest in some people in seeing it. It absolutely does. A four-hour movie is not going to appeal to everybody. So it was unrealistic to ever expect, no matter how good the HBO Justice League movie ended up being or how bad, whatever, that it was going to meet the numbers of a Wonder Woman 84. Godzilla versus Kong is not four hours. It's a brand new film, not coming off a huge success of King of the Monsters, but still it's Godzilla fighting Kong. Judas and the Black Messiah. 
It's a brand new film. It's also targeted different to a different type of audience than a Godzilla versus Kong or a Justice League movie. So of course it's going to get a certain amount of engagement. My point here is this. When Variety writes a report, and they should write this report, but when Variety publishes and talks about the results of a report and say that, you know, Justice League didn't do as well in certain metrics as, say, a Wonder Woman 84, Judas and the Black Messiah, Godzilla versus Kong, our collective response should be, and water is wet. Those other films are brand new. They're not director's cuts. They're not four-hour versions. Of course they're not. But at the same time, it's not like nobody watched it and they gained no thing. So it's an important report. And yes, you're right, Stubble McShave. I think this is a report that does highlight why Warner Brothers really doesn't have any interest, and they've said this forever, in restoring the Snyderverse. I get it. That's fine. But that doesn't make it an abject failure. It succeeded on a lot of levels. So again, I would reject the both extremes of this, the, the 000 and the 101010 crowd. As an interesting report, it's worth noting and taking a look at. You just need to know how to interpret it properly. That's all. You just need to know how to interpret it properly. So anyway, that's how I look at it personally. Question is, guys, how do you see that? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by a human from outer space who writes... What's up, John and Rob? Rob is not here today. Uh, I was wondering what you th what you, you thought about the Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt finally being confirmed to come to Amazon on July 2nd. I personally don't have Amazon, so I don't know what I'm going to do, and I feel like this would be something that could get me back in theaters. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, so we have been talking for a while about this movie Tomorrow War, which was supposed to come out in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. This Chris Pratt movie, Tomorrow War, was supposed to come out in 2020. It got delayed. It was supposed to be theatrical. Got delayed. Got delayed. And now, kind of like uh, a Coming to America 2, I guess, it got picked up now by Amazon. And Amazon is now going to put this on their streaming service. I believe they're going to release it in July. Certainly this summer, for sure. I believe somewhere in July. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about the Tomorrow, War, the Tomorrow War, this comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, in The Tomorrow War, written by Zach Dean, the world is stunned when a group of time travelers arrive from the year 2051 to deliver an urgent message. 30 years in the future, mankind is losing a global war against a deadly alien species. The only hope for survival is for soldiers and civilians from the present to be transported to the future and join the fight. Among those recruited is high school teacher and family man Dan uh, Forrester, played by Chris Pratt, determined to save the world for his young daughter. Uh, Dan teams up with a brilliant scientist, Yvonne Strahovski, of course, from Chuck, and she's also in Handmaid's Tale, and she's awesome, uh, and his estranged father, played by the great J.K. Simmons, in a desperate quest to rewrite the fate of the planet. And once again, that comes to us from Deadline. Oh, and by the way, Ian Simon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate that, man. Um, so this sounds pretty good. This sounds pretty good. The, the one thing I have to admit, and I'll have to wait to see the movie, but the one thing that strikes me a little bit funny about this, okay, you came from the future and the answer is to gather people from the past and take them to the future. 
Why not just go back to the past and say, hey, guys, just so you know, an alien invasion is coming. This is what they can do. This is what their technology is. Start. You've got 29 years now to prepare for this alien invasion. Wouldn't that make more sense? I'm sure they explain it in the movie. I'm I'm sure they cover this in the movie. So anyway, big sci-fi thing, big movie star. Why did this end up going to Amazon for $200 million? And that was the price tag, by the way, $200 million. Knives Out got 200, got around the neighborhood of $230 million per film. Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3. Tomorrow War is getting $200 million. So why is it now going to Amazon? I have two theories. Two theories about why this is going to Amazon. Theory number one. They haven't sensed any excitement for the project. Now, look, I... I can only speak to this from my own personal experience, which is extremely limited, very, very limited. But in the couple of times over the past number of months that we've brought up and talked about Tomorrow War, I've never had one person write to me a question about it. I've never had a lot of response to it. I don't think we've ever gotten a single tip question about it. I've just not sensed any really sort of a big sense of buzz or anything. And by the way, Edwin Gomez and Samuel Champion both send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys. Appreciate that, guys. Um, Maybe they've just gone as time has progressed. They just realized there isn't the hunger for this. Maybe. I mean, I'm interested in this movie. This sounds great. This sounds like it's right up my alley. So maybe it's that. The other possibility here. Is, is also this, and it's an unfortunate one. The other possibility about maybe why they decided to pawn it off onto Amazon for $200 million is the lack of any noticeable buzz, but also maybe the fact that it's starring Chris Pratt. Now, look, let me be very, very clear about this. And so I'm not, I'm not going to try to disguise this or be disingenuous. I love Chris Pratt. I think Chris Pratt is one of the coolest dudes I have ever met in this industry. I mean, he is just always kind and nice and generous. And I. so I'm, I'm just putting that out there just so you know, so you can take whatever I say with a grain of salt. I think this dude is absolutely incredible and fantastic. That being said, you know, there's been a little bit of backlash to Chris Pratt, quite frankly, quite prejudicial and... Um, I, I want to be careful how I say this, but you know, the fact is Chris Pratt has a faith-based lifestyle and a lot of people have prejudice against that. And so have come out and attacked him in recent months and, you know, kind of created controversy where none exists around him. And so, you know, it, it just, I don't know. His his star power has diminished a little bit because of that manufactured uh, controversy around him. Even though I think it's utterly and completely ridiculous, I think it's extremely prejudicial. Um, but hey, you know, whatever. And it could be, it could be that the you know the producers of the movie just looked at that and said, okay, look, what are our realistic box office chances with Tomorrow War. When it has been in the news, it hasn't gotten a ton of buzz. Uh, Chris has undeservedly taken some some hits 
with his image and all that kind of stuff, that might hurt our performance in the box office. Maybe, yes, maybe, you no, I don't know. Again, I'm pulling all this out of my ass. I'm just speculating here. But if you, if you are the producer and you're looking at that and you do actually think that this could hinder our box office performance and Amazon is offering you to cut, to cut a check to you for $200 million, which means, hey, we didn't spend 200 making this thing, so we're instantly profitable if we do that, then it's probably a good move. And if you're Amazon, it's a great move. By the way, the movie buffness sends in a super chat badge. Thanks, movie buffness. Appreciate that. Um, if you're Amazon, it looks like a pretty good win. You just did something similar to this with Coming to America 2, and it was, they claim, the most streamed movie uh, during the pandemic era, which, if that's true, good for them. I didn't personally love Coming to America 2. Maybe it's just because I love the first one so much, but I, I wasn't a big fan of Coming to America 2. But it was a huge success for Amazon. So... If you're the studio or if you're the producers, you, yeah, I, I guess you could understand why maybe that was a very attractive offer. If you're Amazon, yeah, this looks like a good win for you. So there you go. Anyway, all I know is when July comes, I'm going to be watching this thing. I think the premise sounds great. I love the I love Chris Pratt. You got J.K. Simmons in there. You got, I mean, the cast sounds good. The premise sounds good. I'm in. Question is for you guys. What do you think? about this news that the Tomorrow War has now been bought and is officially going on over to Amazon. You think this is a good move, bad news? Are you excited for it? Have you been buzzed for it? Have you never even had any interest in it? What do you guys think? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Harris Nguyen, who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob, it's not here today. Okay, maybe file this one under take with a massive grain of salt. But I'm seeing a story going around that Sony wants to bring back Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire for Spider-Man 4, a direct sequel to their original Spider-Man trilogy. Yes, I know none of the major outlets are reporting this, but I wanted to know your thoughts on the chances of something like this, and could it even be possible? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Harris. And yes, a rep for those of you who don't know, a report started going around about a day ago and making its way around the non-main -main trade. Like, none of the trades, none of the real news sources are reporting this. Not Variety, not The Wrap, not Deadline, not Hollywood Reporter, not Entertainment Weekly. None of them are running this. But, you know, one of these little grain of salt rumors started going around that Sony was interested in bringing back Sam Raimi, who right now is, of course, working on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and Tobey Maguire, the original theatrical uh, theatrical uh, version of Spider-Man. And Sony wants to bring them back to actually do Spider-Man 4. To actually do Spider-Man 4. Now, on its surface, this looks like one of those rumors that you can easily dispel. Easily dispel this. I mean, possible? Of course, you know what we've been saying around here forever now. In a world where Jamie Foxx can come back as Electro... Anything is possible. So sure, anything is possible, but it also has all, it smells an awful lot like one of these fly-by-night rumors comes out, disappears, nothing ever comes of it. 
And by the way, uh, Toodle Dundee sends in like a $50 super chat badge in the live chat. Dude, thank you so much for your support, man. That's, that's amazing. Thank you, dude. That's very generous. I appreciate that, man. Um, as does everybody involved here with the show at any rate. So this rumor starts going around. This is what comes to us from the folks over at comic book movie who write, like always take this with a huge grain of salt. So even everybody else is saying this is a huge grain of salt thing. <clears throat> take this with a huge grain of salt. Maybe you went with a whole box of salt, but uh, the website giant freaking robot who have had a few scoops pan out in the past is reporting that Sony pictures has expressed interest in bringing back both Raimi and McGuire for a potential fourth entry in their Spider-Man series. Whether that means exploratory talks have already begun is uncertain, but according to their sources, the hope is that Raimi would return to direct a film they believe will also feature McGuire and use it as a launching off point for Spider-Man 4. That, of course, comes to us from comic book movie. All right. So the bottom line is it's ridiculous, right? Right? This is totally preposterous. There's, there's absolutely nothing to this, right? And uh, by the way, MJ Nation sends a super chat bad as well. Thank you, dude. Um, nothing to this, right? This is a fairy tale. This is another piece of BS rumor. We shouldn't pay any attention to it. Blah, blah, blah. It has all the earmarks of that. Absolutely. But is it that crazy? Is it that crazy? Now, look, before I say anything else, do not misinterpret me. Do not misquote me. I am not saying this report is true. I am definitely not saying that this report is true. However, what I do want to propose is that facts and circumstances surrounding this rumor render this rumor not as crazy as you might initially think it could be. That there could actually be some rational reasoning here as to why you, an internet viewer and reader, might hear this and think, you know what, it is possible this could be true. Not saying it is, not even saying it's likely that it is. But there's enough sort of things here to me to suggest it may not be absolutely crazy. Let's jump over for a second into the Campia classroom, shall we? Let's jump over here for a minute. So I want to propose a couple of reasons why this particular idea that's being floated around out there that Raimi and and uh, Maguire coming back to do a Spider-Man over at Sony may not be completely out of the realm of possibility. The first one is this. The reality is Tom Holland's contract is coming up. What I basically mean by that, and by the way, Bruce Kraft sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Bruce. Um, what I basically mean by that is we talked about this a little while ago. We know that Tom Holland, who is Spider-Man in the in the Marvelverse right now for the Sony and Marvel films, he has talked recently about, yeah, his contract is just about up. He's the the number of films he signed on for his extension are expiring. Now, that doesn't mean he can't just tomorrow sit down and sign a new contract. There it is. There's my signature. New contract. New contract. Nobody say so of course that's that could be done tomorrow. That could be done tomorrow. But for now, Tom Holland's contract is coming up, right? That is one little piece, that's just one little thing to keep in mind. Second thing to keep in mind. 
Disney and Sony were ready to kill their partnership uh, before. Do you guys you guys remember this, right? You guys remember this? That going back a little bit to last D23, Disney and Sony announced our deal is now done. No more Spider-Man in the MCU. And Tom Holland put out the social media message. I'm so sad that I don't get to be Spider-Man anymore, but I've loved my time doing it. And I look forward and, and he was saying, I'll do Spider-Man movies for Sony and all that kind of stuff. But we know that the Sony and Disney partnership over Spider-Man isn't going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. And their, their partnership, um, they at one time before did announce that they were going to end their partnership. Now, they then went back on that. They re-signed up for a new deal and they extended it a bit, but they only extended it so far. So Tom Holland's contract is coming up. That can be fixed, but it is coming up for now. Disney and Sony have been ready to move on from their relationship once before. There's that. Um, Raimi, the other thing is Sam Raimi is hot again. I think Sam Raimi should always be considered a hot director. I think the dude is great. But with Sam Raimi now doing a Doctor Strange movie, Sam Raimi's news is like, Sam Raimi's name, I should say, is all over the news again. It's on the lips of everybody in the fan communities again because he's directing Doctor Strange. So we've got him being hot again. So there's that. Toby's name is hot again. I mean, with the rumors going around that we could see Tobey Maguire pop up in Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. Is that the name? I keep forgetting the name of the new Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man No Way Home, right? Anyway, with the rumors going around, by the way, I personally do think he will appear, although there has been nothing official that says Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield will be in the next Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. I do believe they will be, but who knows? We'll see from there. But regardless of whether Tobey does show up in Spider-Man Far From Home. The fact of the matter is, he has been a big topic of conversation ever since people started talking about this new Spider-Man movie. And when the name Tobey Maguire comes up, everybody gets excited, right? Have you heard anybody out there say, nah, the idea of Tobey Maguire popping up in there is boring. Have you heard anybody say that? Like even I, when I doubted when that we would see something like this, and I, I doubted very strongly we would see something like this, but even I, when I doubted it, I said, well, it would be exciting. I mean, it would be exciting, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. That's more like a YouTube video or everything. But obviously, but, I mean, I don't think you're going to find anybody out there who doesn't at least get their eyebrow up when they hear about the idea of a Tobey Maguire popping up at Spider-Man. So everybody's been talking about Tobey Maguire. So we got Tom Holland's contracts coming up. Disney and Sony have been ready to walk from their deal before. Sam Raimi's name is hot again. Tobey Maguire's name right now is super hot again. But there's a fifth thing I want to put in here that I think we should really pay attention to. Uh, restoring old, um, I'll call it IP. Restoring old IP is the new hotness. Right? In the words of Will Smith. Restoring old IP right now is the new hotness. Everybody, like for instance, when word came out that we could see Michael Keaton as Batman again, however short it might be, 
when word came out that Michael Keaton, we could see him as Batman again in a Flash movie, everybody lost their minds. The idea of going back and reviving old franchises is the hottest thing in Hollywood right now. It's the hottest thing in Hollywood right now. So when you consider all these things put into one, when you consider the the idea that we understand that Tom Holland's contract is coming up, we understand that Disney and Sony, their partnership isn't going to last forever. When you understand that Sam Raimi's is right now hotter right now than it's been in, in several years. When you understand that Tobey Maguire's name is really hot right now and people get excited about the idea of seeing Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And when you consider that there's a massive trend in Hollywood at the moment of restoring old IP, either in the form of particular characters and actors playing those characters or old franchises, whatever. And you understand that's one of the hottest trends in Hollywood right now. Now, I put this to you. And by the way, Mike uh, Irvan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that, dude. When you understand all five of those things, and then you hear, however reliable or unreliable the rumor is, this rumor that Sony is actually starting to have conversations with maybe a Raimi and a Tobey Maguire to revive that Sam Raimi Spider-Man idea, is it really so crazy? Now, again, if I had to put five bucks down right now, if I if I had to bet, if I had to bet $5 that we are going to see a Spider-Man 4 continuation of the Raimi Maguire Spider-Man universe, I would bet no. Okay? So I don't think this is actually going to happen. I don't buy it. But I also would not call you crazy because that rumor is coming out in an environment where all these things that we're seeing here are actually very valid right now. Contextually speaking, Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire coming back to play Spider-Man in a Sony universe is not wildly unrealistic. And, and there's a difference, by the way, between being possible. There, there, Everything is possible. You can have something that's possible and wildly unrealistic at the same time. This whole Spider-Man thing is not only possible, it's also not wildly unrealistic. It's not wildly unrealistic. Now, obviously, this cannot happen as long as Marvel and Sony still have a deal that allows Marvel to make live-action Spider-Man. Because while they're doing that, Sony can't do their own live-action Spider-Man. But, as we've already talked, Tom Holland's contract is expiring. The deal is going to come to an end at some point. Barring them re-signing up, Raimi's name is hot, Maguire's name is hot, and it's all the rage in Hollywood right now to try to revive older IP, either in the form of the properties themselves or of certain characters. So, again, I don't think you're crazy. Now, let's jump now into, a, just for a moment, let's talk about this from a, a personal point of view for a second. And MJ Nation also sends another uh, Super Chat batch. Thank you, man. Let's talk about this from a personal perspective for a second. Is it even something I would be interested in? Would I or should I even be interested in the idea of seeing Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man? I'd be down. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, people, A lot of people, I'm sure, would be yelling at their, their computer monitors right now. What about Tobey Maguire? I mean, what about Tom Holland? We love Tom Holland. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, Tom. You know... 
We love men in, in their mid-20s who look like they're 14. Oh, Tom. And by the way, I am one of you. I love Tom Holland. I love Tom Holland. I love him as Spider-Man. I love just the charisma and energy he brings to what he does. I think Tom Holland is aces. Love him. But it's not necessarily a one or the other. Remember this. Back around D23, when it had been announced that Marvel and Sony were ending their deal to do Spider-Man, which they later revived, but at the time they said that, the understanding was Tom Holland was going to continue to be Spider-Man, but in Sony movies, in Sony exclusive movies, right? I was just saying that one of the hottest trends in Hollywood is to revive IP, but let me also say this, it is also becoming a very welcomed, beloved trend for these comic book movies to break away from everything has to be shared cinematic universe, right? I Don't get me wrong, I really enjoy shared cinematic universe, I do, but I'm also tired of everything having to be in shared cinematic universe. It doesn't have to be all one or all the other. I like a mix. And that's why when they announced, when Warner Brothers announced that they were going to do a standalone, separate universe kind of idea with Joker, I loved it. Because while I really do appreciate my shared cinematic universe comic book movies, I miss the, the true standalone kind of things. And what have we been seeing lately? Warner Brothers did that. Now we've got the Batman movie coming. There's more talks and conversations about utilizing multiverse. That's just a way of hiding the idea that these things aren't actually connected, but we call it multiverse. So you could connect them if you wanted to in your head. Fine. But that's another trend. So theoretically speaking, and by the way, James Bonner sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, man. Um, theoretically speaking, Sony could theoretically have a Miles Morales animated Spider-Verse movies. And you guys know how much I love that first Into the Spider-Verse movie. They could have a Tom Holland Spider-Man Sony-Verse movie. And they could have totally separate, like Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves' Batman is separate from the DCEU proper, you could have a totally separate Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man 4 are there problems with that idea? Yes. Are there drawbacks? Absolutely. Am I saying it's a perfect thing? No, I'm not. I'm just saying there are possibilities. So if you're, if you don't like this idea of Raimi and Maguire, because you're a fan of Holland, it's not necessarily one or the other. You could still get both. I, but now we're just talking possibilities. Now we're just talking possibilities, not probabilities. And by the way, Leo Liang sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Leo. Um, so I don't know. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this whole thing? Do you think that all the, the things I listed out here, you know, suggest that there could be rational reasons to believe that, hey, maybe there are talks going on about that. Again, if I had to bet five bucks on it, I bet it's not true. I would bet it's not actually happening. But I don't think you're crazy if you think there is for all of those reasons. What do you guys think? Jump down into the com into the comment section and let us know your thoughts. 
Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now use the rest of the show here to take your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to get in a live comments or question, simply go into the description of the video. You'll see the tip link there. Just click on it, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting this channel at the same time. And all of us involved with the John Campy YouTube channel, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, let's get over and get to it here, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Shadow Jester, who writes, Hey, John slash Rob, for the MonsterVerse, I like Rob's invasion idea, but for the sixth movie, uh, for the next one, I'd love a Titan Civil War 5v5, Team Godzilla versus Team Kong. And for true absurdity, Kong gets Jack's Gets jacks from Mortal Kombat-esque bionic arms made from Mecha Godzilla. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's necessary. So for those of you missing, give me a second. I'm just going to turn on my air here. It's, uh, I'm just going to turn on the air. It was cold in my studio when I started, but the lights start to get warm. Anyway, um, for those of you who missed it, you know, Rob and I talked about the idea of continuing on with the MonsterVerse. I think with the success of Godzilla versus Kong, they're absolutely going to keep moving forward. But where they go, who knows? Rob had this really good idea of an alien kaiju invasion. Like, a number of alien kaiju come to the world. It's not completely unlike uh, Pacific Rim, admittedly. But, you know, Rob even suggested bring Pacific Rim into it. Have Jaegers fighting alongside Godzilla and Kong against some invading kaiju coming in. I think that'd be great. Now, here's the thing. Kong, if you saw Godzilla versus Kong, Kong doesn't need bionic arms, clearly. Um, Kong can take out Godzilla, not would every time. I'm saying he can take out Godzilla when he's got his Mjolnir. When Kong's got his Mjolnir, I mean, he can, he can wreck shop. He took one of the rounds, but so I don't think he needs bionic arms. But I really do like Rob's idea because I used to poo-poo the idea of crossing over Pacific Rim with the Godzilla and King Kong universe, but I'm I'm like, F it. I'm on board now. <laughs> I'm totally on board. And this idea of like five or six invading alien kaiju and humanity under Monarch, maybe, maybe we say, because remember, they're both owned by the same studio, Pacific Rim. And uh, the MonsterVerse are both under the same studio. They're both under Warner Brothers. And they could just say, what if Monarch was the the company that founded the Jaeger program? And they create a couple, one or two Jaegers to fight alongside Godzilla and Kong. And Godzilla's got his nuclear fire. Kong's got his Stormbreaker and whatever. I think that could be badass. It's completely ridiculous and bonkers. But hey, I, I think it could be kind of badass. All right, next up. Uh, James Argenta writes, uh, ideal sequel premise for Godzilla versus Kong is Kong and Godzilla versus Predators. <laughs> the little Predators. Uh, legendary Warner Brothers and Disney will need to work out a deal for Predators to appear in the film, though, and find a story reason why Kong and Godzilla don't just step on the Predators. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> Godzilla and Kong versus Predators? <laughs> little, pre- little tiny Predators. That would be kind of fun. All right, Mary writes, uh, Ao is pronounced Io. Oh, see, I, I was talking about this. So, of course, the Dora Milaje second-in-command soldier, whose name is spelled A-Y-O, who, of course, appears at the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier in the last episode, I've always said I've never known how to pronounce it. I just pronounce it Ao. But Mary is saying it's pronounced Io uh, with no oo sound, short O, rather than I 
I-O. While I'm here, Lagos is pronounced Lagos. Didn't know that. Uh, Rather than Lagos, which is how I say it. Hopefully now that I've written it, it makes sense. Probably does. You just taught me some things that I didn't know, Mary. I'll probably forget because that's how my brain works. It goes in one out the other. But I will try to remember that. So I-O. I-O. That makes sense. It certainly sounds better than the way I've been saying it. A-O. Has been saying, that's how I've been saying her name. So that makes total sense. All right, next up. Brian Esparza writes, first Logan, then Wrath of Man, now those who wish me dead, and probably a more I'm not thinking of. Johnny Cash really does make for the best trailer music. He absolutely does. Uh, nothing beats that Logan Hurt trailer for me, but loved this trailer for those who wish me dead. Yeah, so we talked yesterday about the trailer of uh, For Those Who Wish Me Dead, uh, the new one by Taylor Sheridan, who has done like uh, Heller High Water, uh, Sicario, Wind River. This guy is awesome. And it's starring Angelino Jolie. It's also got a great supporting cast. That looks good. But I'll tell you what, man. So that trailer was it was a great trailer. I can never get over like about once a month. I still just for fun. I just load up the Logan trailer. That that might be my favorite trailer of all time. I'm I'm not definitively saying it is, but if I ever sit down to try to write out a list of what I think are the greatest trailers of all time, that Logan trailer might end up at the top of that list. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying that Logan trailer could end up at the top of the list. I mean, it's everything a trailer should be. It gives you a sense of the story. It gives you a sense of the characters. It sets a terrific mood and tone. It gives you a taste of the DNA of the film. And it's just badass to watch. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. And you're watching that with Logan. And it's just maybe the best. But you're right. You add Johnny Cash to any trailer. And the trailer just instantly elevates. The trailer just instantly elevates. No doubt about it. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Brian. Next up, BK Dan writes, John, the Daily Caller, which is an outlet I've never even heard of, the Daily Caller is reporting that Lucasfilm has trademarked the name Skywalker Academy. Um, first of all, the uh, I've never even heard of this thing, so whatever. Um, well, considering that the term Skywalker is already trademarked, Like, you can't name your something. Like, if you wanted to start a preschool, you couldn't name your preschool Skywalker Preschool. You couldn't do that. The the name Skywalker is is patented by Lucasfilm, obviously. So I don't even know if there would be a need for that. But uh, but I don't know. Maybe they do. Listen, the reality is this. All these studios patent, register, whatever, millions of names all the time. It doesn't really mean anything. So even if this outlet that I've never heard of, that doesn't mean it's a bad outlet. I'm just saying I've never heard of it. Maybe it's a great outlet um, called The Daily Caller. Uh, maybe there's something to it. I, I I don't know. But it doesn't necessarily mean anything, even if it's true. And they already do own the patent on Skywalker. So I'm not quite sure there's there's anything to that. But you never know. You never know. All right, next up. Uh, we've got MD who writes one of three. Hey, John, you missed a reply I sent in. Uh, it definitely would have been either. 
It definitely would have, it would have either been at either end of Companion Video Tuesday or at the start of the live section today, Wednesday, uh, the John Campus Show, because I sent it during Tuesday's live show, double-checked both videos too. First of all, it is possible. I've had some people send in things where like part one or part two doesn't go through. There are times when people forget to hit the right button for it to go through because I will then go through the logs and like, a lot of times their things just never came through. So that could be possible at any rate. Um, two or three. Anyway, uh, my comment about real life psychology phenomena uh, wasn't in defense of the Falcon, and the winter soldier. I don't really care for the show that much, to be honest. It just hasn't grabbed me yet. Uh, it was rather that you were saying that something is impossible. Well, I never say anything's impossible, but extremely unlikely, highly improbable. Uh, that actually isn't. Where's three? There's three. As a psychology major, I just wanted to point out that this is a real thing and happens. Uh, whether or not it's used in the show wasn't really my point. I was just sharing the insight because something I've studied and would be interested uh, and would be interested to know. So, what MD is referring to, I assume, is this ongoing discussion we've been having about. There's a part in Falcon and Winter Soldier where Falcon walks into this big crowded bar with Winter Soldier and Zemo, and all eyes are on the three of them, and nobody in there recognizes one of the Avengers, which to me was an utterly preposterous, weak-ass writing by the people who do Falcon Winter Soldier. And I like Falcon Winter Soldier, and I'm a big MCU fan, but that just because I'm a fan doesn't mean you let things go. I mean, especially in the same show where random people on the street in countries like Tunisia recognize him avengers you saved my family and kids in the streets of philadelphia you're black falcon and bankers are like i know you i recognize you like they already established that this guy saved the world with the avengers they are rock stars in this universe right they're rock stars or blah and the idea that he was able to then walk into our like look i'm a i'm an effing nobody right i'm just some canadian kid who converted his garage and, and streams on YouTube, I am the epic height of an effing nobody. But um, if I'm at Comic-Con and I walk onto stage in Hall H with 6,000 people, a couple hundred people are probably going to recognize me. And I'm an effing nobody. You know? When I, when I go out, when Ann and I go out, you know, to you know, whether it's uh, to a mall or we go to a theater or whatever, we will inevitably have a couple of people stop and come and say hi and be really nice and make me feel like I'm special, which is always, it always does. You, <laughs> you know, I could play it cool and say, oh yeah, yeah, people come up, recognize me, no big deal. I geek out inside. Every freaking time somebody comes up to me, especially when I'm with Ann, because I think it makes me look cool in front of my wife. Uh-huh, huh, honey? I, I, I am still in that phase where I try to make myself look cool in front of my wife. I still want to impress my wife. Anyway, um, and you think I would have learned by now that there's nothing I can do to impress my wife. <laughs> anyway, um, if an effing nobody, that happens to an effing nobody, then if you are one of the most famous people in the world and just like three months earlier, you saved the entire human race and you are recognized everywhere else around the world as an Avenger, it's just to me utterly preposterous the notion that he can just walk into this country and walk into this thing and be surrounded by massive crime lords who you know they know who every single Avenger is. That to me was preposterous. It was preposterous. And MD's not doing it, but I get the 
I get the fact that all of us love the MCU. And so we, everybody feels the need that they need to defend the MCU, even though they did something so preposterous. But again, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the show. It didn't ruin my enjoyment of the show. Not at all. I just thought that is a stupid thing. And I just pointed it out as a stupid thing. Anyway, that's just that. All right. Next up, Sergeant Ward writes, but uh, by the way, MD, that doesn't take away from the validity of what you're saying, that there can be this psychological phenomena that could happen here and there. I'm sure that's a thousand percent true. It would also just be very unlikely that that's all I'm going for. It just to me would be extremely, extremely unlikely. And that is not me crap talking on the MCU. I'm just saying it's cool to love something and still point out its flaws. And to me, that was a flaw. Maybe it wasn't to you. And that's cool. We're all friends here. But to me, it was a big flaw. Anyway, next up, Sergeant uh, Ward writes, I wrote in about uh, the Netflix movie Monster and how there is no IMDb page. I remember that. Uh, and I and I found it. It was under the, the title All Rise. That's interesting. And they didn't change it at the time. And it came out in festivals in 2018. OK, that's interesting. That's why I couldn't find it. Have you seen the trailer yet? No, I do remember you bringing that up. And I remember you mentioning that thing about, you know, this movie monster, but there's no IMDb page. I totally remember that. But no, I have still not seen the trailer for it. I Now that I know what it, the title has gone, gone under, I will try to keep an eye open for that. Thanks for sending that in, Sergeant Ward. And by the way, in the live comments, guys, have any of you guys seen this trailer that Sergeant's talking about? Discuss it in the comment section below. All right, next up, uh, we've got uh, MD who writes, a movie slash TV trope that bugs me is when somebody is being chased and they hide somewhere. The chaser gets diverted and then the person being chased jumps out of their hiding spot seconds later. I end up yelling at the screen, just wait a damn second longer. That is one that gets used a lot. It's You know, it's funny. I was just watching that whole trope MD. It also plays itself out in different ways that frustrates me. Like I was just watching uh, again recently. I watched The Last Starfighter again because we did our movies in 20 on it. And there's this scene where um, our main character is being chased by the alien assassin, right? And he's out in the open and he kind of escapes from the, the mean alien assassin. And there's a, like a shipping container sitting like in the middle of the parking lot. And instead of just bolting, he runs and hides behind the shipping container. I'm like, Oh, yeah, because the alien assassin, once he gets back on his feet and starts, he'll have no idea where you're hiding then. It's just a lot of these times. So you're absolutely right, MD, but it, it also plays itself out in different ways. Like sometimes the whole cat and mouse chasing with the heroes, it, it obviously is and quite often really, really silly. Anyway, uh, let's see. Let's move on. Uh, Anonymous writes, hey, John, longtime fan here since the AMC days. Thank you so much. Also, sorry for bashing your TV on Twitter. Oh, you're probably... So I put up a picture of my living room, right? And because of how big the wall is where I hang my TV, it's a 75-inch TV. Because of where I where I have it on this wall, when you look at a picture, it looks like it's a tiny TV. So I had some people on Twitter saying, man, you got a really small TV. And then I'm telling them like, it's actually a 75-inch TV. And like, it doesn't look like it. It totally doesn't look like it. Anyway, I wanted to push back on your assessment of theaters a bit, since it seems to be a huge point of contention with the release of Godzilla versus Kong. As much as I love theaters, uh, I guess this is Christian. I don't believe that they will ever be uh, what they were pre-COVID. 
My belief is that at this point, most people have probably upgraded their home, their home with some kind of budget sound system, 4K TV, essentially creating home theaters, multiple stimulus checks. Uh, additionally, with these new movies being released on streaming services, it's clear that watching new movies at home is certainly possible, albeit at an additional cost. What are your thoughts? All right. Well, I'll say this, Christian. There are two things that I like to bring up. You guys remember Rob brought up that study, and, and I've referenced it too in the past. There is, a, there is a study that came out that basically showed that people who spend the most money on their home entertainment setup, their TVs, their sound bars, their surround sound system, whatever part, part they like, their Blu-ray players, their streaming media players, whatever. And Rob was referencing this one. I believe it, it came from Deadline. But that showed that the people who actually invest more in their home entertainment setups are the people who go to the theaters the most. The people who spend the most on their home entertainment are the ones who actually go to the theaters even more than the rest of the demographic, which is fascinating. The other thing is this. We have heard over the years that same kind of argument repeated by cyclical generation, right? Like when VHS tapes came out, you know, we all saw that, that one big popular YouTube video when, when VHS tapes came out, they proclaimed two things that TV was now dead and movies were now dead. And of course that never happened. Then when DVDs came out, even higher quality video, smaller, convinced, digital, blah, blah. Movies are dead. Obviously, that didn't happen. Then when, you know, HD came out, same thing. Then when Netflix streaming first became a thing like a decade ago, same thing. Movies are now dead, and that never happened. As a matter of fact, in the last real box office year that we had, 2019 set record numbers. So we've constantly heard every time there was a new iteration of... Um, of, of technology and stuff like that. There always then comes the big wave of movies are now dead and it, it's never happened. This is yet the next iteration of that. Now, at some point, there will be a tectonic shift. There will be at some point. I don't think this is it, though. Godzilla versus Kong is also a great example of this. Because if you're a movie studio, and this is a lesson that Warner Brothers is learning now, Godzilla versus Kong, while the pandemic is still going on, let's not pretend that the pandemic's gone. It's still here. We're managing it better, but it's still here. Godzilla versus Kong has already made over $300 million at the box office. Over $300 million at the box office. Do you know how many people watched Godzilla versus Kong on HBO Max? I believe the number was 4.4 million. And do you know how many of those were new subscribers? Like who subscribed within 24 hours of when Godzilla vs. Kong launched? It was under 10%. Which is still a significant number. It's still a significant number. But it was under 10%. That means from 90% of the people who watched Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max, HBO Max actually didn't make any money. They made no money off of those people. They were already there. 
and they made $300 million worldwide. Now, there are asterisks to put with that, too, because that's $300 million. You got to take off the third for theatrical. But still, we're talking in the hundreds of millions of dollars. The model of a Warner Brothers putting movies out theatrically for 45 days, making hundreds of millions of dollars, and then putting it on their streaming service and still getting the benefit of it on their streaming service is still by far the superior the numbers are proving it. It is the superior model. It is by far the superior model. You know, it's not like if they put it in theaters for 45 days, it'll never go on the streaming service. It does. They, they, there is a win-win for both. And the very fact that a Godzilla versus Kong in limited theater capacity, while there are still people nervous about going to cinemas, not every theater is open around the world, and there is still a pandemic going on, and it was available on HBO Max if people wanted to watch it there. And yet it is still made over $300 million in its first week. It's just one movie. So it's too small of a sample size to make any definitive statements. But it at least gives the appearance that it's obvious people have been starving to go back to the movies. Audiences have been starving to go back to the movies. And again, it's not like Godzilla versus Kong is Endgame. It's not like Godzilla versus Kong is like Justice League 2. It's not like Godzilla versus Kong is a new Star Wars movie. The Godzilla and Kong franchises have not done that great of business in their past. And this is the movie that show people. It's going to be really interesting to see how Mortal Kombat does. I don't suspect Mortal Kombat will do quite as good as Godzilla versus Kong. But if Mortal Kombat can make like 200 million in its first week with limited theater capacity, with the pandemic still going on, I think that bodes very well. And it does, again, show that people have been aching to go back to the movies. Now, time will tell. A year from now, we'll have a lot more information. We'll have a much different perspective. And maybe this conversation will be very, very different. For now, though, everything that I look, when you look at the historical patterns and you look at what information we have in front of us right now, to me, it seems like the theatrical industry is poised for a very big comeback. Right back to 2019 numbers? Oh, probably not right away. No. But I think it'll be on the road there. But again, six months from now, a year from now, we'll have a whole bunch of new data and a whole bunch of new information. And maybe I'll think something completely different six months from now. But for now, I still think all the information points to a pretty big resurgence, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Excellent thought to bring up though, Christian. I appreciate that, man. Excellent thoughts. All right. Next up. Did I miss anybody? No. Next up, we got never lose your nerd rights. Hey, John. Is the Western movie genre completely dead and buried? I don't think so. Uh, You never see movies anymore. um, And are people just not interested in them anymore? Random thought I had. What's your favorite? Uh, Some of mine are Tombstone, Wide Earth, Unforgiven, The Shootist. I mean, as far as my favorites, I think my all-time favorite Western is Unforgiven. It's almost a perfect movie. And I don't say that often. But Unforgiven is nearly a perfect movie. Uh, So there's that. One of my also favorites, nobody ever talks about it, is the rebooted 310 to Yuma. 310 to Yuma with uh, Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. Magnificent Western. I love that movie. Not Nobody talks about it, but I think it's absolutely fantastic. The reality is over the past 20 years, 
it's not just that we don't see a lot of Westerns today. We haven't had a lot of Westerns made in the last 20 years. They are few and they are far between, but I still think the right Western at the right time can still thrive. So no, I don't, I don't think the Western is dead and buried. I think it's been very, very much diminished like it has been for the last couple of decades, but I still think it's there. And I, I still think a good, I mean, ultimately Logan was really a Western, although it was set in modern day, but I do not think the Westerns are dead and buried, man. I don't, I think every once in a while we'll still get a good one coming out, but we'll see. All right. Next up. Um, Willow writes, I know that you're frustrated about your mother-in-law not understanding your job, but on the bright side, she still uh, supported her daughter's marriage to you, even though she thinks you're unemployed and dresses like a homeless person on the show. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, God love her. Let me, let me see if I can find this. Uh, let me see if I can find a picture. I want to get, get up a picture of my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. Uh, let me just see if I can find a picture of her. Anyway, as some of you, uh, may or may not know, my, my mother-in-law has always had a little bit of, of, uh, a little bit of difficulty knowing what it is I do for a living, just kind of understanding what it is that I do for a living. And let me bring... I'll bring this up. This was in our old place. Oh, oh no. Anne would never let me show this picture. Let me, let me try another picture. Uh, We'll go with this one. Okay. So here's a picture of uh, me. Uh, I'm actually the one taking the picture. So I'm not in, I'm taking this picture, but there is obviously on the end, there's my wife, Anne. And then right beside her is my mother-in-law. And then right beside my mother-in-law is Anne's sister, Olive. And then right beside Olive is Ray, who does all the graphics for our show here. Anyway, so um, my mother-in-law, it, it's it's funny. I don't have a lot of in-depth conversation with my mother-in-law because, you know, she's not great at English, although she definitely speaks better English than her, her husband did, my father-in-law, who just passed away a couple of years ago. But... Man, she's sharp. And when I say sharp, I mean, uh, she can be, (laughs) she can cut you. My mother-in-law can cut you. I remember, and this goes back a couple of years, but my my mother-in-law was watching one of my episodes of one of my shows with Anne. And my mother-in-law said to her, I kid you not, my mother-in-law said, why John dress like hobo? I kid you not. Word for word, that is what my mother-in-law said about me. Why John dress like hobo? So that that sparked and created uh, a period of time where I decided to wear suits. I don't know if, I think this was still in the AMC days. I wore suits on the show for like three months. I wore suits on the show just to counter my mother-in-law, whose opinion means very much to me, clearly saying, why John dress like hobo? And she's also never really, under- she, she went many years assuming I just basically didn't have a job and was uh, unemployed. And I just did internet videos for fun. And she didn't quite understand the job, but she does now that that her her son works for me. So that makes it easier now. But yeah, uh, why John dress like hobo will forever go down uh, permanently etched in my mind. And my mother-in-law is great. I love my mother-in-law. 
And uh, one of the reasons we moved out to Riverside was so we could actually be, live a little bit closer to my mother-in-law, as a matter of fact. She's great. But yeah, it's always been a little bit of a sense, uh, uh, sense of misunderstanding, I suppose. Anyway, but yeah, she's always been, Anne's mom has always been very, very supportive of our relationship. So there you go. All right, next up. Uh, Timothy writes, you used to make standalone videos for fans that tipped in $50 or more. This is true. Uh, just out of curiosity, why did you stop? Well, yeah. So for, for those you might remember, we used to do a thing that if you sent in um, a tip question and you tipped 50 bucks or more, not only would I answer it on the show, but then I would later make its own little standalone three or four minute video about it. And I think that was a great idea. It was a great idea. It was a great idea for me because, you know, a lot of people liked the idea and a lot of people more than you might think started sending in like $50 tips. So it was great for the show. I was able to give people raises and all this kind of stuff. More income was coming into the show. It was great for me. It was great. It was also great for our viewers because it gave an option for 50 bucks to get another level of engagement that they could actually have their own standalone video made um, for 50 bucks, right? Well, okay, John, if it was such a great thing and it was working so well, why did you stop? Honestly, and some people will say this is stupid and I get it, but this is the honest answer to that. It was too successful. We like, I initially, I initially initiated that idea thinking we would get two or three a week. We were getting 15 plus a week. John, why is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing, but what started happening was this. You know, when we first launched the idea, a few people would send in a couple and I'd be, okay, great. And I could, within a day or two, I'd be able to make those standalone videos and put them up on the channel. But then as we started to get more and more and more, and if you guys understand how many hours a day I work, I started falling behind. So it started with people would get their, their videos made within about a day, but then people were having to wait two or three days. And then people were, then I was like a week, a week and a half behind on getting those made. And to me, while I was benefiting from that, it was unfair that people who would tip that large specifically to get that standalone video made to me it was fundamentally unfair that they would support my channel like that and then they would have to wait a week and a half 10 days or more to get that video made it wasn't right it wasn't fair and i had to look at myself in the mirror and say is there some way i can keep up with this and still do it because it was making a lot of money for the channel and people seem to really like it. But I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, I cannot keep up with this. And there's no way I can do this without making people wait a couple of weeks to get their questions answered. And that's not fair. And so even though it meant we had to take a bit of a financial hit, I discontinued uh, that program. And I wish we could do it because I, I even remember... I proposed to our viewers to say, hey, guys, instead of just me answering this question, what would you think about one of our other team members answering the question? But the response we got from everybody was like, no, we sent this in to hear you answer this. And so I had to discontinue it. 
which sucked because we made a lot of money with that money that I was able to do a lot of really interesting things with, but it just wasn't fair to our viewers. And so I, I had to discontinue, um, I had to discontinue it, which sucks. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe we'll try it again sometime, but, uh, that's why. So thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Gave you a little bit of a look behind the curtain there. Look, my relationship with my viewers is the most important thing to me. Um, because it is that relationship between me and the rest of the community here that makes my channel work. And if I, 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 I just can't, yeah, I just got to make sure I'm doing things that are fair to the viewers. I, and I do the best I can. I don't always succeed. Sometimes I make wrong decisions, but I do the best I can. So I had to discontinue that. And who knows? Maybe we'll try it again sometime. Anyway, thanks for that, man. Uh, next up, uh, we've got Sergeant Ward who writes, I got a great Disney Plus original movie for you that Togo, I did finally get around to watching Togo. It's very good. Uh, starring Willem Dafoe. It's about a man and his sled dogs trying to re retrieve medicine during a snowstorm. It's a great movie and I would highly recommend it. It was one that flew under the radar for a lot of people. I know I was very, very late to the party. I didn't watch it till like months later, uh, but it was a very sharp, very good movie. And again, it kind of showed that Willem Dafoe, a lot of people now think of Willem Dafoe as paying the creepy guy. The creepy guy, right? That's how a lot of people think of Willem Dafoe, playing that kind of guy. I mean, Lighthouse, for example, right? Sorry, just had to reach into my mini fridge to grab my next delicious can of Zevia. Zevia, sponsor me, you cheap sons of bitches. Anyway, um, and it shows another dimension to him that not a lot of people will see all the time. And uh, yeah, and I'm a dog guy. I'm a dog guy, so I'm usually down for anything with dogs. I love dogs. Ann and I are both very, very much dog people. So anyway, thanks for that, man. Next up, we've got uh, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, I hope you're well, but I'm sorry it was not different. Uh, we know who Jake Gyllenhaal is. He's a world-famous actor, and we did not recognize him in a hat during the day, just like Sam is a world-famous Avenger and didn't get recognized in a dark club. Sorry, Anonymous, they are two very, very different scenarios. In that nightclub, all eyes were on them. When they walked into a thing, and he wasn't just an actor, he's a guy who saved the world. And he walked into a club with all eyeballs on him. All attention was there with, oh, it's Winter Soldier. Like when Zemo, Winter Soldier, and him walked in, all eyeballs are, sorry. To me, I appreciate your point of view, and your point of view is no less and no more valid than mine. Good on you, but you're not going to change my mind on this. My mind on this, it was a totally preposterous thing and a pretty weak thing that the writers of this MCU thing did. did. I still love it, still love it, but it was pretty weak. Anyway, that's just my take on it. Thanks for sharing yours. All right, Dennis Chip Chapman writes, Hey, John, have you seen Russell Crowe's film Unhinged? I have not. I was supposed to, and I have not. And he's my favorite actor in the world, and I've still not seen it. Uh, he truly had nothing to lose, so he lost it completely. I felt like apologizing to him for just watching the movie. He made Michael Douglas and falling down seem sedated. Hope you get well soon. Thank you so much. My leg's doing a lot better. Still not all the way there. It is doing much better. I'm, I'm recovering from that deep vein thrombosis. Um, it's still there. I'm still on blood thinners and stuff like that to try to get it resolved. But I'm feeling like 80% better. I'm feeling like 80% better. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. No, I do got to still watch this movie because I thought it looked really good. It's Russell Crowe. And yet I haven't seen it. I have no excuse. I have no excuse. I got to get around to watching that. Thank you for reminding me of it, man. All right. Uh, let's see. The Sock writes. 
Uh, I'm on episode five of The Watchmen. I really like The Watchmen. Uh, and as a mixed black man, that opening scene of episode one was extremely hard to watch. Dude, as a white man, as a pasty white European man, that was really hard to watch. I mean, it's brilliant, but it was really hard to watch. So I can only imagine how from other people with other perspectives would feel. Anyway, uh, it was extremely hard to watch. Also, is Agent Blake trying to compete with Lady True and uh, Viet? I always forget how to pronounce that. For the biggest asshole award, she'll still lose. She'll get third place. Listen, I'll tell you what. Now, look, I, I admit the ending, the ending of, um, of Watchmen, the series, wasn't the strongest ending. Like, it, it wasn't the strongest ending to me. That being said, I thought overall that series was fantastic. I And I say that as somebody who the movie version of Watchmen, I'm kind of meh on. Like, I'm not one of those people that hated it. I'm not one of those people that loved it. I'm kind of in the middle of the road. But this series, I mean, it just something about the approach to it, the way they did it, it just totally grabbed me by the throat. And that opening I mean, what a killer way to opening open the thing. I mean, it really grabs your attention instantly. Um, and um, yeah, I just really enjoyed it a great deal. All right, next up, uh, Ruben Wakefield writes, Hey, John, I want to invest some money into the entertainment industry during COVID. I have stock in AMC, but I want to take advantage of some of the entertainment investments before post-COVID kicks in. Any advice? Got Lonely Island, Jack Sparrow on my mind. <laughs> this is a tale of Captain Jack Sparrow. I oh god, if you guys haven't seen the Lonely Island Michael Bolton video of they're doing the song Jack Sparrow, you got to see it. It's awesome. It is awesome. Go search it on YouTube. Lonely Island Michael Bolton Jack Sparrow. Look it up, go and watch that video if you haven't seen it already. And you can thank me later. That thing's awesome. Anyway, look, I am I am not a stock expert. I, I don't, I mean, I dabble in stock um, a little bit. As a total, as a total casual, I am no stock expert. But I mean, look, the, the reports just came out off the results of one movie, Godzilla versus Kong. The stock prices on every movie theater chain has gone up, some significantly. So it's not a bad time because so once we start getting things like, you know, Mortal Kombat, once we start getting things like uh, Black Widow and other things, if the trends continue, you're going to see that stock go up higher, I would guess. But again, don't listen to my advice. I am no stock expert, but me personally investing in some theater industries or some theater adjacent industry stuff might not be a bad idea right now. But then again, I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. Next up, uh, Andrew S. writes, uh, one of two. What would you think about just doing away with the human characters in future Godzilla versus Kong movies? I think it would be disastrous. I really do. I think it would be utterly disastrous. Uh, I'd be down for an entire movie of just Kong living his life in hollow earth. I think we can move on from humans forcing narrative and start uh, letting the uh, animators take control of that. Uh, maybe add some new monsters waking up from hibernation or something that threatens his home. The show Primal on HBO proves that can still be an engaging story without talking. Why not do that with Godzilla versus Kong? No, that would never work. People won't engage with it. They, I, and they just won't. Listen, if the studios thought they could make a lot of money that way, they could go for it. And look, I get it. It's cool to say, I watched this movie for... 
the Transformers. That's fine. We watched Godzilla versus Kong for Godzilla and Kong. That's true. But here's the thing. The problem with the humans in Godzilla King of the Monsters, which was terrible, just terrible. And the problem with the humans in Godzilla versus Kong was some of them weren't bad, but for the most part, overall, the human stuff was the weakest part of of the, the movie. The problem wasn't that there were humans. The problem was they weren't done well. And the story that they were communicating wasn't a good story. Quite frankly, the story of Godzilla versus Kong wasn't. And I loved, go watch my out-of-theater reaction to Godzilla versus Kong. I had a great time watching this movie. Fantastic time. But it's a bad story. And, you know, that's hidden a little bit with Godzilla and Kong because they don't talk. So the weakness of the story isn't exposed through Godzilla and Kong. It's exposed through the talking human characters. But that was still a weakness with Godzilla versus Kong, with Godzilla and Kong and the human characters. Anyway, the problem is because the human parts were written so badly, don't make the mistake of saying, well, then the problem was that there were humans. No, the problem was that they did a terrible job writing the humans and they did a terrible job with the story of the movie overall. Godzilla fighting Kong was amazing, but that's not a two hour movie, you know? So I, I honestly think it would be an utter disaster. I think it would be a complete disaster and and ultimately pretty uninteresting. Now, that doesn't mean it couldn't be great. Of course, it could be. There's a possibility, but I always bring it back to this. In a basketball game, as you're coming down the court, is it a good idea just to heave up a shot from half court? No, it's not. But it could go in. Oh, yeah, it could. It could go in. It's possible. But there's a much better chance of you scoring a basket if you come all the way down the court, set up a play, and get a set shot off, rather than just heaving one up for half court. It could go in. A Godzilla versus Kong movie with just Godzilla versus Kong grunting and growling. Home. Yeah, maybe it could. It's possible it could. But I think you have a much better chance of making a really good overall movie if you have a well-written story and have human parts in it through which our eyes and ears go through, and those characters are well-written with good, important parts to play within the narrative while keeping attention on on the uh, the mainstays of the movies, Godzilla, Kong, Ghidorah, Mothra, whoever else you want to go in there. But I just think it's better to do that. Again, I just think a lot of people react to the fact that the humans have been written badly in King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong as being, oh, well, then the problem was that there were humans. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem, they were just badly written. At least that's my take on it. That's my take on it at any rate. So that's my thought, Andrew. But hey, listen, you're not alone. There are other people who feel the way you do, Andrew. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you're right. But you're asking my opinion. So my opinion is no, the, the, the key is fixing how badly you write those human characters. That to me is the key to making a great overall movie. But that's my thoughts. All right, next up. Um, let's see. Tim, 
Oh, Tim. Tim writes, I am completely unfamiliar with Dune. I know nothing about it other than it's a property with a devo- with a devoted following. That said, I say the trailer, I saw the trailer for the first time when I went to go see Godzilla vs. Calling in IMAX. Holy crap, it looks amazing. Uh, so what would you do if you were in my shoes? Familiarize myself with the story ahead of time by watching the older movie or just wait for this one. Side note, Warner Brothers, don't be idiots. Make this movie theatrical only first. I completely agree, Tim. So in asking the question, look, there are a lot of people out there who don't know anything about Doom, which is totally fine. In asking what would I do in your shoes, let me tell you what my personal rule for myself is. My personal rule for myself is that if a movie is coming out based on an older IP, be it a book, especially if it's based on a book, or an older movie that maybe I haven't seen. My rule is do not read the book and do not watch the older version of the movie before seeing this new one. The reason I have that as a rule for myself, and I'm not saying anybody else should do it. This is just my rule that I have for me. All right. The reason I have that rule that do not read a book for an upcoming movie and do not watch an original version of an upcoming movie is because when I watch the movie, I want a clean experience. By a clean experience, I mean I don't want to have the bias of, well, it wasn't as good as the book. I don't don't want to set myself up with a pre-existing bias for something else. I want to be able to judge the movie on its own merits, right? So I try to go in in that terminology clean. So if I were personally in your shoes and I had never read Dune and I had never uh, watched the original movie, Patrick Stewart's in that one, by the way, too, the original movie or saw the the uh, sci-fi miniseries of it, which I actually think is pretty good, I would not read the books, nor would I watch either of those two things. I would say, let the movie be your first experience with it. And then if you like it, then go pick up the books or go watch one of the older incarnations of it. But my recommendation is go into the movie as clean as you can. That would be my, uh, my suggestion anyway, Tim. And I envy you, man. I envy you for the position that you're in. All right. Next up, we got Saram who writes, Hey John, when you met- mentioned that Netflix is losing market share to Disney plus and responding with knives out, you reminded me of concerns you had with Netflix original movies and their quality. My question concerns the exception here, non-English language ones. If Netflix goes away, ooh, Netflix isn't going away, but <laughs> if Netflix goes away, what happens to those of us in the U.S. and outside who love foreign slash uh, foreign TV slash movies? I'm worried about regional rights and who will replace them. Warner Brothers dumped drama fever and crunchy roll. Disney Plus has lacked proper subs and audio for their foreign titles. Okay, so the first thing we should mention here, Saram, is Netflix isn't going anywhere. Netflix isn't going anywhere. Now, you can say, but John, you're often talking about how they lose billions a year. Yes, but that's okay. That's part of their business plan right now. They have planned for that. They're, and they're moving away. They're moving towards a financial model where they would be making profit every year. It's not a problem. But John, you said they're losing market share. Well, yes, you have to assume that, that Netflix is going to lose market share. Because remember, for the longest time in the world of streaming entertainment, it was Netflix and nobody else. Essentially. Essentially. 
For all intents and purposes, it was Netflix and nobody else. As soon as another major player comes onto the field, some of that market share is going to be taken away. You know, five years ago, there was no HBO Max. There was no Disney Plus. There was no uh, Paramount Plus. There was no Peacock. There was, you know, there wasn't all these big incursions into the streaming world. And so... For all intents and purposes, while there were other things, yes, it was really Netflix's game. They weren't just the player, they were the game. Netflix was the game. Now, you do have Comcast Universal getting involved with Peacock. Now, you do have Paramount getting involved with Paramount+. Plus. Now, you do have Warner Brothers and Warner Media getting in with HBO Max and the way it's structured as opposed to the older HBO. Now you do have Disney Plus getting involved there with Disney spearheading it and, and, and so on and so on and so forth. So yeah, the moment you have more players, it's going to lose market share. But Netflix is still the number one streamer. Will it still be in three or four years? Maybe yes, maybe no. But even if it's not number one, it'll still be a major, major player. And as of right now, they are still the number one. They still are. So, yeah, that's all just to say, in the next seven to ten years, Netflix isn't going anywhere. I, I don't think Netflix is going any Now, five years in entertainment is an eternity, but uh, honestly, be between the next five to ten years, I don't think Netflix is going anywhere, so I think it's fine. Now, to your other question about what would happen, theoretically speaking, if Netflix did disappear... Where would somebody like you and a lot of other people who really like their foreign titles and things like that? Listen, in the age of the streaming wars, content is everything. They're all, all these streamers are looking for content. And if Netflix suddenly isn't the place for that content, other streamers will pick up that slack. You know, nature abhors a vacuum. It would create a vacuum. Others would come in to fill it. So I don't think, number one, you have anything to worry about Netflix disappearing. And even if it did disappear, I don't think you have anything to worry about uh, that content because a starvation for content is going to be the primary driving force of most of these streaming services. And I think you'll still see it there. Anyway, there you go. All right, next up, uh, we have Alexis Rosales who writes, Hey, John. I have a theory that Sam is going to end up giving the shield to Isaiah Bradley. Many people are saying that uh, I'm not married to this theory, but it also wouldn't surprise me if Marvel decided to do something like this. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I've had other people write in and suggest that maybe Sam ends up giving it to Isaiah. They could do it. It wouldn't make a lot of sense because I mean, that shield is a symbol for a lot of things. You know, Sam and Bucky had that conversation about the symbol that the shield represents. And it is also a very effective weapon. It is a vibranium shield. And Isaiah isn't about to get back into the game. I mean, he's much older now. Um, he's still obviously super strong, but he's not about to get into the superhero business. It would literally just not be doing any good anywhere. So... I don't know. I mean, definitely they could do that. It would make a sweet, beautiful moment in episode six of Falcon and Winter Soldier of Sam showing back up at Isaiah's house and saying, I want you to have this. That would make, make really good television. I'm going to guess that they won't. But, but again, it's one of those series that because of how great of a moment it would create in the show, it's definitely a possibility. 
I'll still say it's unlikely, but possible. So that's where I'm, I am on that, Alexis. All right, next up, we got Caleb who writes, uh, so what don't you want? I've been working here for 44 years and everybody's ordered a T-bone steak and a baked potato, except one ass. Oh, I think I know what this. We just mentioned this movie a minute ago. I accept one a-hole who tried to order trout. We don't sell no trout. So either you don't want corn on the cob or you don't want green beans. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's hell or high water, which we just mentioned a, a little bit ago when we're talking about Taylor Sheridan's movies. I think that's from hell or high water in that restaurant scene. I could be wrong, but oh, yellow flash is also saying hell or high water as well. So yeah, I think it is. I think it is. So hell or high water. There you go. All right. Nice quote, Caleb. Appreciate that. Uh, Brandon writes, John, please tell me, do you think that Marvel will hashtag release the Zemo cut? I need it in my life. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I put up, somebody sent me this um, um, YouTube video. It's like a four minute cut of a loop of Zemo doing his dance with uh, what is love? Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more with just Zemo in a loop doing this. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. No, I don't believe that they will. Um, uh, I don't believe that they will release a Zemo cut, but if they did on YouTube, it would become the hit of YouTube. All right. Next up, Mr. TJ Lynn writes Netflix to Marty Scorsese. We'll pay you $30 million personally for your next movie. And Marty goes, screw you. I'm Marty, Marty effing Scorsese. I'll buy that t-shirt. Yeah. We were talking about that the other day about the fact that Ryan Johnson is getting a hundred million dollars personally. Ryan Johnson, Daniel Craig are each getting a hundred million dollars each to do knives out two and three. That's 50 million per film for each of them. It's so like, and, and Rob brought up a great point, which we were kind of discussing and, and saying, this may really disrupt the entire it's it's an unhealthy thing. They these streamers cannot put up that kind of money. And now what's Marty do you think Martin Scorsese is gonna do his next movie for less than what Ryan Johnson's getting for a knives out movie? I mean, it's it what Netflix just did, and I take my hat off to Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson. You take that money. You take that money and you run. But it's going to be interesting to see what kind of problems that deal is now not just going to make for Netflix trying to negotiate deals with other filmmakers. It's going to create a problem for all the streaming services and deals they try to negotiate for everybody else. Look, I know you guys don't like it when I do sports analogies, but in the NFL, you know, if a maybe the fifth or sixth best quarterback in the league, maybe seventh best quarterback in the league signs a new free agent deal and he signs for like $100 million a year. Well, guess what's going to happen now with all the other quarterbacks? They're going to go, uh, I'm better than him. I should at least get $120 million, right? It becomes to scale. And so it's this deal that Netflix made, I think is going to bite them in the ass. I really do. And I think it's it's already going to start to bite other streamers in the ass too because they're going to have filmmakers. You know, Disney's going to be trying to work with filmmakers. Paramount Plus is going to be trying to work with filmmakers. Amazon's going to be trying to work with filmmakers. And then they're going to get into negotiating deals and they're going to, well, you know, uh, Ryan Johnson just got $100 million personally for doing those two. That's $50 million a film. And are you saying I'm not as valuable as Ryan Johnson? I think I deserve $50 million. It's going to be problematic. It's going to be interesting to see how this kind of shakes out as they move forward. All right. 
Uh, next up, uh, we have, all second. Um, we have, come on. Why can't I get the questions up on the screen? Maybe because of this. There we go. Uh, next up, we have uh, Jinyu Hitchi writes, Falcon and Winter Soldier bar... Oh, guys, can we move on from this, please? Anyway, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier bar comparison. Jesus, Moses, and Kevin Smith walk into a bar. I, I, I gotta see where this goes. Jesus, Moses, and Kevin Smith walk into a bar and approach the bartender. Jesus says, hey, you know my friend Moses and Kevin James? If you ever hear uh, Smith talk about it, lots of people think he's Kevin James to his annoyance. Uh, I love Kevin Smith stories, by the way. Falcon isn't a top tier hero for those uh, that care. Scum such as as they are really only focused on the top hitters. Uh, yeah, they know him, but in in the presence of two higher profile celebs, not many there are even playing. Again, I, I, I think this is just MCU fans making excuses for the MCU. Now, look. If they hadn't already showed us in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, if they didn't have a scene where Falcon is just hanging out in a coffee shop in Tunisia and having people pointing him out and recognizing, Avenger, you saved my family. If they didn't already show him walking around on the streets of Philadelphia and some random kid, you're a black Falcon. If they didn't already show all that, I might buy that. But I'm sorry, guys. Look, all of my fellow MCU fans, let's all just hold hands take a breath and just admit they screwed the pooch on that. They, they messed up. It was a dumb thing for them to do and it's okay. We're allowed to still love the MCU, but it's utterly ridiculous what they did there. And I say this as a fellow MCU fan, but it was totally pathetic and ridiculous what they did. Anyway, this is my take. All right. Um, Jin Yu writes, also, you really think these bad guys are going to be thinking, uh, thanking Falcon for saving them from Thanos? Oh, no, I don't think they're going to go up and thank him. Uh, what about Bucky, who was there, or the hundreds of Ravagers who portaled in? Uh, I don't hear anybody praising Ant-Man, Ant-Man who? Well, we don't know where they're going to be with Ant-Man. I mean, that's that's a non-comparison. Ant-Man isn't in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Neither is Black Widow. Uh, neither is... Uh, I mean, we saw him in one scene, but we haven't seen him in anything else. We haven't seen War Machine in any other context other than that episode one at the press event. Um, so that's a non-comparison. It's a non-comparison. Anyway, guys, look, I'm, I'm just going to say this now. I'm not going to address any more questions about this. We've we've everything that there has that there needs to be said about it has now been said. There is nothing else to say about it. So uh, if you're thinking, well, I got to just don't because I'm not going to take any more questions on it. We've wasted too much time on it. Look, I get it. If you think one way, I respect that. You get to think that way. But I've already stated why I think what uh, they did there is utterly preposterous and stupid. So there's nothing more to say about it. Let's move on. Next up, the Wakanda Forever writes, um, I'm going to level with you, John. Marvel has done well and Star Wars is nice. But if Disney really wants a franchise to get behind, they need Harvey Comics. Check out these names. Casper, Baby Huey, Felix the Cat, New Kids on the Block. They had a cartoon. Oh, I remember they did have a cartoon. And Richie Rich. Did you know he had a McDonald's in his house? An actual McDonald's inside of his house. Played masterfully by the great Macaulay Culkin. Uh, Home Alone was my favorite film to watch for Christmas growing up. Who's your favorite child actor? Ooh, my favorite child actor would actually... Hold a second. Let me just bring something up here. Um, uh, my favorite child actor, as in, like, 
as a child actor, they were consistently and constantly, I just want to bring up their page here, doing great, great work. Like normally child actors, when they come on screen, they can be adorable and they can do good for a child. Every once in a while, though, there is a child actor who doesn't just do well for a child. They do well, period. And that's rare. And while it may sound a little stereotypical to say, I will say this. She's a woman now, but Dakota Fanning, when she was still just a child actress, was always convincing to me. Always convincing to me. Like, I, I always completely bought in when this little girl, no longer such a little girl, would come on screen and do her thing. She was great. She was great. Now, uh, there's also, I always mispronounce her name, but uh, I I always mispronounce her name. Quavagine Wallace? I always, like I said, Quavagine Wallace? Hold on a second. Let me just... Uh, let me see if I can just bring up her name. So see if I can pronounce it properly. She's from Beasts of the Southern Wild. She got an Academy Award nomination, I believe, for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, and she is, man, she's older now. But, uh, I, uh Quavangene Wallace? I should learn, I, I'm, you know me, guys. I'm the worst in the world at pronouncing names. But, oh my God, she was so good in Beasts of the Southern Wild. I'm the man. She was so good in that. And I believe she got a, nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got nominated for best, uh, for best lead actress. At nine years and 135 days old, she is to date the youngest ever nominee for the Academy Awards for best leading actress. But yeah, I, I, I just got to say Dakota Fanning. I got to say Dakota Fanning. That's the one I'll, I'll go back to on that one. All right, next up. Uh, Tacky 75 writes, uh, I watched recently the 2005 Fantastic Four. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> the the, uh, the 2005 Fantastic Four. And I was astounded by the blatant sexist, uh, sexist treatment of Jessica Alba. It was like the filmmakers put more uh, put more effort into thinking. Let me try this again. It was like the filmmakers put more in effort in thinking of ways to show her body than in telling a good story. Disgraceful film. Well, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't blame filmmakers at all. I don't think it's sexist for filmmakers at all to when you have a celebrity in your movie that is partially known for and partially celebrated for how ridiculously attractive they are. Like, let's look at Chris Hemsworth, right? And you look at like a couple of Thor movies. They always make sure, at least they have on several occasions, to make sure even though there's no real reason why it has to be there, let's show Chris Hemsworth with his shirt off in these movies, right? There are several times throughout just Thor's iteration to make sure they show Chris Hemsworth topless. And I get it because he is a ridiculously attractive dude. Chris Hemsworth is so attractive. I would say he is almost as good looking as me. Not quite, not quite. Let's not be silly, but 
I mean, he's that good looking that he actually has to almost be as attractive as me. And that is very attractive. You know it's true. You know it's true. Anyway. But the reality is, I get it. Like, I don't blame them. Um, I don't blame them at all for, for highlighting that because he's a ridiculously good-looking guy. Part of the celebrity Chris Hemsworth is his obvious physical physique and stuff like that, and you show it off, it pleases the audience. Right? So I get it. I also don't blame them when they do the same thing for really attractive actresses. You know, whether it's Charlize Theron, you know, you put her in a certain dress or whatever, or have her making out with another girl in, in, um, uh, atomic blonde or or whatever you want to show. She is sexy. Show off her sexiness. You know, Chris, do you think, do you look the whole reason that one scene in winter soldier happened where, um, where you have, or was it Civil War? And I, I think, I think it might, I, I can't remember now. Was it Civil War or Winter Soldier? Ah, it was, it was Civil War. Where uh, Chris Evans was like holding onto the building and holding onto the helicopter. You know the scene, right? He's in that tight, tight t-shirt and he's like, and his biceps are coming out to here. Do you think that was really necessary? No. That wasn't really necessary for the movie, but they wanted to do the whole look how sexy Chris Evans is. Everybody it was like, Bleh. and I will tell you what I was sitting beside. I won't, I won't name her, but you, she's, a, she's an online celebrity. I went and saw that movie with a particular uh, girl online celebrity. Cause we were working on something together at the time. And I remember when that scene happened and Chris was there, she was just like, she physically and noticeably just flopped herself back in her seat and was like, <laughs> like that, right? Because the dude is super attractive and they show that off. So I, I mean, listen, there are movies that clearly take very sexist approach approaches, but when you have a celebrity that is partially their celebrities based on just how ridiculously attractive they are, whether it's a Chris Hemsworth, a Charlize Theron, a Jessica Alba, then highlighting that aspect of it and leveraging that. I, I don't see that as a particular problem, depending on how it's done, depending on how it's done. Uh, that being said, I also agree with you that they did seem more interested in showing off how good Jessica Alba looked in her, her outfit than they did about making a good movie because that m- movie was not particularly good, Tacky. I completely agree with you on that. Uh, all right, next up, we move to Wakanda Forever who writes, Corella DeVille, Corella DeVille, if she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. To see her is to take a sudden chill. The world is such a wholesome place until Corella, Corella DeVille. Uh, John, who's your favorite Disney villain? By the way, they just put out recently another trailer for Cruella, which is also pretty solid. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. Um, I guess my favorite Disney villain is still Scar. It's still Scar. I like Jafar um, is a pretty good one, but at the end of the day, it's still Scar. 
the conniving, plotting, just the voice of Jeremy Irons, um, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. I, it has been for a long time, and I'm going to remain with my favorite villain being Scar. All right, Wakandan also writes, this will sound negative, but it is not meant to be. I love Godzilla versus Kong. It's the first movie where human characters annoy me. Uh, usually animal sidekicks and CGI creatures bother me. I cheered. I came for monster fights. They delivered. No, and, and I agree. Listen, the very first thing I said when I did my video, my straight out of the movie theater reaction video to Godzilla versus Kong, I did say, and I still believe the human parts were the weakest parts. As a matter of fact, uh, me and Ray are working on a video right now. It's going to be called the five worst things about Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, and remember, I, I loved watching Godzilla vs. Kong. I had a great time watching that movie. But there are some big problems with it. I acknowledge that. And I'm we're, we're working on a video right now called The Five Worst Things with Godzilla vs. Kong. But yeah, the, the human stuff was problematic. I thought the little girl and uh, the I keep forgetting the name of the actress, but the woman, uh, the woman who's kind of the mother figure to the little girl, I thought they worked. But a lot of the other human characters simply did not. And um, and yeah, and it was a little bit of it was a hindrance to the film. Again, the problem wasn't that there were human characters. The problem was they didn't write them well and didn't give them important things in the narrative to do. And that became that that obviously was very much a problem. All right. Uh, and by the way, Yellow Flash, thank you again. It's always Rebecca Hall. I love Rebecca Hall. I've loved her since seeing her in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And yet I always forget Rebecca Hall's name. By the way, she did a movie with Luke Evans a couple of years ago, just just a couple of years ago, called Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman, about the guy who created the Wonder Woman character, and what went what was going on with him creating that character. It's a fantastic movie, actually. It's a fantastic movie with Rebecca Hall, Luke Evans. Go check it out if you get a chance. All right, and yeah, um, Oak Eye is also reminding me in the super chat. She was also in Iron Man three, uh, and I liked her in Iron Man three, even though I didn't. You know, I thought I would have liked to see more of her in Iron Man 3, but it is what it is. All right. Wakanda Forever also writes, Godzilla versus Kong, Aliens, Predator, Batman, Superman, Freddy, Jason. Uh, that's all I can think of. John, what is your favorite versus movie? P.S. I know you say it's only a five-minute YouTube clip, but I still want Avengers versus Justice League movie. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Favorite versus movie? Well, it's definitely not Freddy versus Jason. It's definitely not that. Uh, Alien versus Predator was also very disappointing. Um... What are some other movies? What are some other versus movies? I mean, one of my favorite is called Shaolin versus Llama. Most of you have never heard of it. It's an old Kung Fu movie. It's my all time favorite Kung Fu movie. It's called Shaolin versus Llama. Favorite Kung Fu movie of all time, but most of you have never even heard of it. Um, anyway, Godzilla versus Kong was ridiculously fun. But I got to say Batman versus Superman. Yeah, I I'll say Batman versus Superman. As far as you know, multiple, like two well-known properties size, sized up. Now, uh, Manpreet in the live chat is mentioning Civil War. That's a good one. It's a little bit different. Civil War is a little bit different. It's like massive collections of groups with over an ideological difference where this is like individual, 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 Batman, Superman, Godzilla, Kong, Freddy, Jason, right? Um, but I will say as much fun as I had with Godzilla versus Kong and I really enjoyed it, I will say my favorite out of those are Batman versus Superman. So I'll, I'll go with that one. All right, next up. 
Wakanda also writes, uh, I had a lot today. Okay, I will give someone else a turn. Last one. The Jupiter's Legacy trailer was cool. I really thought it was quite good. Uh, it It is neat that they are delving into the personal family lives of these superheroes. Superman and Lois, Black Widow, and WandaVision. Keep it fresh. I agree. One of the really cool things to see in the whole comic book genre, whether it's TV, streaming shows, or movies, whatever, is... The genre continues to mature and the, the genre continues to evolve. Right now, it's in a little bit of a, fa- of a phase of exploring what would real life for these types of heroes be. Like if you're the utopian in Jupiter's legacy, what struggles are there about trying to now, you're so far along in your legacy, you're in the latter part of your life. Your kids are now becoming these heroes. What does that mean and how does that affect you? And they're obviously taking a very dramatic approach with it. The Superman and Lois show has really impressed me because they're saying Superman can't really be challenged physically. So what are the obstacles and the problems, the difficulties that he has to face and overcome? Being a father, a family, uh, these no-win situations, He even as the Superman has to be in, that's the reason why I'm really liking the Superman and Lois show. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's really neat. And that's going to be neat to see what the next stage of evolution of the comic book genre will be. What will be the next level of stuff they try to deal with? And that is what's keeping this entire genre fresh, in my opinion. Uh, anyway, next up, uh, World777 writes, Hello, John. One silly question for a change, okay. If tomorrow's scientists invent a vaccine to cure old age and you could choose what age you would stay, what would it be? Keep up the good work forever, I hope. Well, thank you so much for that, man. Um, I don't know. I mean, like not teenager, not in my 20s, maybe like my mid-30s. I think my mid-30s is where I'd want to be. I, I don't have a lot to back up why I would say that because obviously you just hit me with a question now, but I would say mid thirties. I think that's the one I would probably grab onto and, and hope there. That's, that's what I would go for. Interesting question. World seven. All right. Next up. Sergeant Ward writes since Warners and Paramounts now have streaming platforms. Does that mean Netflix won't have the rights to stream their movies in their library? What will Netflix do in regards to library? Okay. So this is a larger topic that we've been touching on for a while. The reason that Netflix loses billions of dollars every year is because they have a budget. I might be off by one or two, two billion, but they have a budget. They spend around $13 billion a year in licensing fees. That is a fee that they spend. They give to other creators to allow them to have their show on, um, on their streaming platform, right? So like back when The Office used to be on Netflix, Netflix would have to pay a big licensing fee to have The Office there and whatever. But Netflix has known for a while that this is unsustainable for two reasons. Number one, they're never going to be truly profitable as long as they're spending that kind of money on on, uh, licensing fees. And number two, because they know as all these other companies start their own streaming services, they're going to want to keep their content on their services. That is why the last couple of years, last number of years, ever since House of Cards, Netflix has been pouring more and more money and energy and resources into developing and purchasing their own content. 
they're moving massively away from licensed content to their own original content. And that's becoming their main thing because they know they got to get rid of that billions and billions and billions and billions a year they spend on licensing. And number two, there's not going to be anything to license pretty much pretty soon because all these other places are going to want to keep that content for themselves. So they are trying to transition into their own original content and they're doing that fast and heavy, maybe a little too fast, maybe a little too heavy, $100 million for Ryan Johnson, but it is the way that they're going. All right. Just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Uh, Connor M writes, Hey, John, I have something you might get a kick out of. Look up Marvel's American Kaiju. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, they couldn't use Godzilla, so they made their own. It's pretty cool, but also sort of hilarious. Imagine him versus Godzilla. Thanks. Glad you are feeling better. Well, thank you for that, Connor. I will go and look that up at some point. What's it called again? Marvel's American Kaiju. Okay, I will try to remember that. If any of you guys, you can throw into the comments or whatever. Have you guys seen this? Um, I'm not sure. Okay, anyway. Uh, next up. We've got uh, McKinley Woodson writes, Hey, John, thank you for the wonderful content with the success of Godzilla versus Kong and talk of Warner Brothers possibly thinking of making Dune no longer release day and date with HBO Max. What are the chances that the Suicide Squad may also not release day and date on HBO Max? I don't think great because let me double check. Hold on a second. Um, suicide uh, Squad release date. I believe it's supposed to be August, isn't it? Yeah, August 6th. August 6th. That's just four months away. It's, I, you know what? It's oh, still four months away. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, yeah. Because I, I, once they look at the results, resulting numbers of Godzilla versus Kong, and they realize they stood to make far more money with it being theatrical. And depending on the results of of uh, of uh, Mortal Kombat, I suppose you know what? Yeah, I suppose there is a possibility Warner Brothers because they're obviously reconsidering right now the Dune release. You know that we talked about that was in deadline yesterday. We talked about that yesterday. So they're clearly thinking about taking Dune out of the HBO Max release and just making it theatrical. Maybe they're having the same thoughts about Suicide Squad. I mean, listen. Suicide Squad just set the all-time record for most views in the first week of a Red Band trailer with 150 million views. Never been more for a Red Band trailer. But maybe things like that and the results are... Maybe. You know what? I'll say this. I will give it a... I will give it a 30% chance. So still unlikely, but a solid 30% chance that maybe they bypass HBO Max as well for Suicide Squad. Again, still unlikely. They'll probably keep it there, but I think there probably is a chance with those numbers. So yeah, it's an interesting thing to bring up there, McKinley. Very good thought. We'll see what they do with that. All right, guys, listen. For... Uh, there are still questions to come here. Uh, we've got uh, Boris, James, Nathan, and a few others. Do not worry, guys. We will start off tomorrow's show with your question. When we get to live questions part of the show, we will start off with yours, and we'll get all cut up there. There's not too many left to get through, so we'll get there uh, and get to those on tomorrow's show. Don't forget, on tomorrow's John Campus show, Erin Cummings will be here today as she describes it as No Pants Fridays. So Erin will be here. Make sure you guys come back and join us for that. Listen, guys, thank you to 
all of you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here today. It's always an honor to have you here. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those tip questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campy Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Remember to do the four main things, guys. We're still in a pandemic. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the people around you. Stay smart. Stay safe. I said it out of order. It doesn't matter. All four are still important. That will do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.